Morning. How are we doing? We good? Some of you are good. Excellent. Well, happy Father's Day. Uh, we're going to have, uh, somebody's going to have a really awesome Father's Day because we're going to give away a Yeti gri- uh, cooler at the end of service. So uh, thanks to Sherry and the volunteer team that put all that together that uh, you get a chance to do that. I've had a few people ask me about my shirt. So uh, here's the story on my shirt. Boom. I'm the original. That boy's a remix. I don't know what that makes my dad. Uh, the 8-track or something like that, I guess. The vinyl. I don't know what that is. The, the, yeah, the LP. The crazy old is what that stands for. But uh, I want to say Happy Father's Day. You know, I know not everybody's story is that they had a dad who was there for them and cared them and loved them. Uh, I hope you can find encouragement today and learn to trust in God the Father to be that dad for you. And others of you, if you are a male, maybe you can change that story and that theme. Uh, uh, That's not my story. I can't remember a time when my dad wasn't there. He's been great dad. So uh, happy Father's Day to my dad and all the dads here. Uh, Let me pray, and then we're going to dive in. God, we love you. Thank you just for the opportunity to come and hear from your word. Thank you for being a good father to each and every person here today. Just ask that you speak life and encouragement in uh, to everyone as they are here to hear from you. Just ask that your words be the words uh, that they receive with a whole and happy heart. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're a guest with us, maybe you're just here for the cooler you saw on Facebook. We were giving that away. That's okay. I'm glad you're here. Uh, but we've been in a study through the book of Acts, and uh, we're going to continue with that today. Uh, don't worry if you haven't been here for the number of weeks that we've been in that series. You can find all the messages online if you want to check them out. But there's no prerequisite for what you have to understand in order uh, to see what we're going to go through today. In fact, I can sum up the entire sermon series in one sense. If you've been here every week, you're probably sick of he- hearing me say it. But that is every movement begins with a moment. Every movement begins with a moment, and it's uh, important for you to realize that because there's going to be moments throughout the course of your life that I think you tend to overlook. They seem maybe insignificant, but you have no idea that what God can do in any specific uh, moment. Maybe it could lead to a movement in your life. Maybe it could lead to a movement in the people's lives around you. So my challenge over these weeks together has been for you to not overlook the moments in your life. Ask God, how can this moment lead me to a movement? My goal for you is for you to not waste your moments. Figure out how God can use them. And what's really cool about this book of Acts is how many different moments there are. And today I'm super excited because we're going to get to read my favorite all-time story in the Bible. So if you brought your Bible, I hope you did, you can go ahead and grab it. Uh, turn to the book of Acts. It's going to be towards the back of your Bible. If you have a smartphone, you can go ahead and pull it out. Quickly download the Version Bible app. You'll be all set if you need to use that as well. But you can also follow along on screen. While you're getting to Acts 19, that's the big number 19, let me ask you a question. I want you to be honest. Do you ever, in the course of your life, live vicariously through other people? Do you ever look at what other people have? You maybe try and emulate what they're doing or achieve whatever it is 
that they have, just kind of live through them, see their life. Maybe you're like me, where what I love to see, where I kind of live vicariously through other people, is when we're out in public and other people's kids are just going crazy. I love that, because it's not just me. Like, like the other day when we were at uh, Aldi's, we, my wife and I took the kids there, and for whatever reason, they, they charge you a quarter for the cart, which is weird because you get the quarter back at the end of the car. Uh, when you return the cart, it's kind of bizarre, but uh, a mom and two sons came up to get a cart, and the older son, he picked out the cart that he wanted. Mom gave him the quarter. He grabbed the cart. Younger son didn't want that cart, so he just stood there in front of line of carts. Mom did the mom thing, you know, no snack, right? You know, uh, I'm going to leave you here. In fact, she did. She just kind of, she walked inside. He just stayed put waiting. And, uh, and finally she came back, snatched the kid up, brings him inside. They get the cart. Well, how many of y'all know waterworks, right? Immediately kids start sobbing uncontrollably. And then I'm watching the whole thing play out in my mind. I'm just like, yes, right? This is amazing. It's not just me. It's not just my kids. Thank God there's somebody else going through the story of my life. What's really awesome is when it's one of your all's kids. That's fantastic for me as a human being. It's very entertaining. But whether you're willing to admit it or not, all of us live vicariously through other people. We see other people's lives. We like to try and experience what they're going through. Or some cases in like mine, we just like validation, knowing that we're not the only ones who experience certain things. Sometimes, though, we take this need for validation too far. Sometimes we're not content with our lives. Sometimes we try and take what other people have or modify our lives in order to get it. And it's not a new problem. That's what we're going to check out today. So let's go. Acts 19, we'll pick it up in verse 11. It's a big 19, little 11. It reads, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. It's amazing. Verse 13, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, pause, What? How would you like that career path? itinerant Jewish exorcist. Like what, how do you even train for that? It's like junior college or what do you do to become an itinerant, a traveling Jewish exorcist? Like what does the even job description look like? Like travel required, floating girls that puke green vomit, likely. Y'all seen that movie, The Exorcist? Okay, don't, okay, but I was just using that as an example. Nonetheless, apparently there's a demand for this in the community, an itinerant Jewish exorcist. Some of them undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them. I don't know why I love that, but I love that the Spirit talks back to them. It says, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? It's like, bro, don't come at me. Who, who even are you? How do, what gets me is how does the demon know Paul? When he, when he says, Paul, I rec-, did they get together and like debrief on who's running havoc in the demon world? Is it like a Facebook group, you know? I mean, do they start some kind of newspaper to let people know the devilish times or something, you know? I mean, what? 
they're probably just reading the New York Times, but none, who, who knows? Anyway, that was a joke. Don't, don't take that seriously. Verse 16, and the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. All right, here's the deal. I've been in a couple fights in my lifetime. In, in fact, I thought I would be a professional fighter. thought that would be a good career path for me after basketball was kind of over. And so I started training mixed martial arts at the gym and figured out after I got punched in the face a few times, you know, this ain't for me anymore. Okay, I don't, I don't really want to do this. And, but there's an a, a, a unwritten rule in fighting. Like everybody knows it, but it's not written down anywhere. And that is, if you go into the fight clothed, but you leave the fight naked. You lost that fight. <laughs> like if, if you literally get the pants beat off of you, I don't care like if you got in some solid jabs, maybe you hit him an uppercut, whatever, you lost that fight. And if you're at my gym and you just got worked like this, you should not come back to the gym. I mean, this is an emotional, psychological physiological sort of assault in every way possible on seven dudes though think about that one guy goes jason Bourne on these seven other guys what happens after that verse 17 this became known to all the residents of ephesus both jews and greeks and fear fell upon them all i would think so but the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. It was raised up. It was praised. How many of you all know sometimes it just takes a good beating to get Jesus praised? Okay, that's what that said. Never mind. Tough crowd today. Verse 18. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the Lord, word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. 50,000 pieces of silver is $7 million. Pretty significant. It's an economic impact happening on this city. It's going to lead to a movement, but I want you to notice something here. Notice how it says, after these people brought these witchcraft books to burn, that's when the word of the Lord continued to prevail and increase mightily. Now, I don't know about you, but when reading that, I'm led to believe that it was only after they confessed these things that the word of the Lord increased. In other words, you might know God. You might have had a legitimate salvation experience, but if your walk with God is dry or uneventful, then it might be that you have unconfessed sin in your life. And for that reason, you don't know God the way you want to, because He can't continue to prevail mightily in your life in the areas where you have unconfessed sin and unrepentant sin. So only after they took their next step that God in turn increased, prevailed mightily. Something to think about for you. Let's keep going. Verse 23. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. That's what they called all these Christians. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, who was a Greek god, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. 
And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying, gods made with hands are not really gods. Yeah, isn't that kind of funny to think about? Gods made with hands aren't really gods. Duh, if you shape a god, if you concoct a god in your mind or with your hands, it couldn't be a god because he didn't create you. That's what he's saying here, verse 27. And there is danger... Not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion. And they rushed together into the theater, which for the record sat... 25,000 people. Put that in perspective. Coke Arena, where they play basketball at Wichita State, sits 10,000. So double the size, over double. Verse 34, and for about two hours, they all, 25,000 of them, cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So I want you to think about this moment. It led to a movement for some people. It pushed them into a riotous behavior, into idolatry. And for two hours, they sat in a theater crying out, great is Artemis. You say great. I say Artie. You say miss. Whatever. I mean, however that works for people in cheerleading. It wasn't one. Yet, for others, it opened their eyes to their sin, pushed them towards the one true God of the Bible. They confessed their sin. They put away their evil practices. They praised the name of Jesus. So what was the difference between these two groups of people? The difference comes in their ability to recognize idols in their life. The question for us today is how can we do that in our lives? How can we recognize idols? How can today be a moment that leads to a movement? First thing we have to do is get our terms right. You might want to jot this down if you're taking notes. An idol is not necessarily a statue bowed down to or anything like that. An idol is anything more important to you than God. If anything absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek that only God can give you, that's an idol. In the ancient world, they literally had statues and shrines that they would bow down to in front of and worship and all that. In fact, when Paul went to Athens in Acts chapter 17, he saw the Parthenon of Athena where hundreds of gods were worshipped, all created statues. There was the, the goddess of Aphrodite. The, uh, she was a goddess of beauty. There was an Ares, the god of war. There's even a statue to an unknown god. That way, if a god miraculously somehow showed up, the people in Greece could say, well, that's your statue. If he was mad about the whole thing because he saw all the other statues, he could say, oh, this is you, the unknown god. We didn't know you were coming. Here's your statue. They're just covering their bases. Now, we can't judge the Greeks too harshly because our contemporary society is not fundamentally different from these ancient ones. Our culture is dominated by its own set of idols. Each has its own totems. Each has its own rituals. You don't need to look any farther than office towers, spas, gyms, studios, or stadiums. 
Sacrifices must be made in order to procure the blessings of the good life and ward off disaster for your favorite team. We may not physically kneel before a statue like Aphrodite, but but many young women have eating disorders and they're driven to depression because they're obsessed over their body image. Many men worship the god of sex or sports. We may not actually burn children at the altar like they used to do, but we will sacrifice our time with them. We will neglect our family in order to achieve some sort of higher place in business or gain more wealth or prestige. And here's what's so deceptive about modern-day idolatry. Most of our idols are good things. Our money, kids, success, weight loss, romance, those aren't bad things. They're good things. But they're good things that we've turned into a God thing. And aside from being sinful, why is this dangerous? Because if you lose a good thing, you're sad or maybe mad. But if you lose a God thing, you are devastated. And what happens when you're devastated? Look at our story. What happened to them when their idols got threatened? They got angry. They almost started a riot. Same still true today. When you threaten people's idols, they get angry. See, idols engage the deepest emotions within our heart. We think they're necessary to our happiness and our contentment. And why do you think people get mad at me as a pastor anytime I preach on money? Is it because I suddenly turn into a buffoon around that subject and I can't speak articulately? I'm just horrible to listen to? I guess it's possible. But what's more likely is they're mad about that because they're more in love with their money than they are with God. It's an idol. And even though we know that our money flows most effortlessly towards whatever engages our heart, we have to recognize that it's become an idol. What's kind of ironic about that is idolizing something ultimately keeps you from being able to enjoy it at all. You obsess over things and can't enjoy them because you depend on them for your happiness. Listen to what Benjamin Nugent said on this idea. When good writing, he was an author, when good writing was my only goal, I made the quality of my work the measure of my worth. For this reason, I was not able to read my own writing well. I couldn't tell whether something I had just written was good or bad. I needed it to be good in order to be sane. Because I depended on it for life and worth, I obsessed about it. I lost the ability to cheerfully appreciate how much I had liked what I had written. What is it in your life that you obsess over, that you're constantly thinking about, that you're looking to to get happiness? William Temple once said, your religion is what you do with your solitude. In other words, the way you can recognize this obsession in your life is to think about where your thoughts effortlessly go to when nothing else is demanding your time or your attention. Like what do you enjoy daydreaming about? What occupies your mind when you have nothing else to think about? Do you develop potential scenarios about career advancement or material goods or a relationship with a particular person? Could you be okay if progress never occurred in your career? Would you be okay if your big break never comes? What if you never have kids? What if your health never improves? What if you never get noticed at work? What if you never accomplish anything on your bucket list? What if how you've suffered in this life is never made right until post-life? Would that make you angry? 
chances are you found yourself an idol. Now, besides looking at what makes you angry, another way to identify and recognize idols in your life, we see and hear from our story that idols need our protection and justification. Idols need our protection and justification. Look at what our boy Demetrius says. Artemis may be counted as nothing, saying we need to protect her. He goes on, all of Asia worships her, the whole world worships her. He's justifying his actions. Again, we do the same thing. How many times have you thought or said, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, I'll, I'll go to church next week. The other kids have this. My kid can too. God will forgive me. If I wanted to quit, I could. I give to missions. Church doesn't need a full tithe. We're giving it other places. We're married in our hearts. God just wants me to be happy. Sound familiar? If you find yourself having to justify some behavior, again, chances are you're protecting your idol, trying to defend it. So be honest with yourself. What do you make excuses for? Who do you make excuses for? Which here's why you need to recognize this now and not wait. Because idols demand sacrifices to keep them happy. And they'll demand more and more and more. It's why you'll lie or cheat in your business because you need to sacrifice your integrity to stay ahead. It's why a girl will date a non-Christian guy because she'll sacrifice God's will because she's afraid of being alone. Plus, she can change him. I mean, deep down, he's a, he's a good guy, right? You just got to get to know him. That goes back to the protection and justification thing. See, our idols cause us to say still, silly stuff like that. It's why teens will have sex outside of marriage because they're willing to sacrifice God's commands for pleasure. There's a lot of people in the world right now who worship an ideal family, so they'll have no problem skipping church on a Sunday because their kids need that extra game to get noticed by the scouts. Even more people worship the God of comfort, so they have no problem sacrificing God's will for their life, which includes serving at a local church because they worked all week. Why would they get up early and come set stuff up? Why would they go serve in kids' ministry? They should be engaged and encouraged in the service. Have I left anybody out? Trying to equally offend everybody in the room currently. If I've not made you mad either, I'm not preaching or you're not listening, one of the two. But what can we do about the anger? I mean, if we're feeling convicted right now, aside from leaving the church and never coming back, please don't do that. That that would be bad for me. But how can we get past all this? We first have to understand that God is better than an idol. God is so much better than any idol. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not going to change on you. Numbers 23, 19, God's not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? No. Listen to me. God is for you. He's after your fullness of joy. That's what Psalm talks about. He's not trying to keep anything from you. All of these good things that you've turned into a God thing, those were God's idea. He wants you to experience these things. 
He wants you to have joy in your life. He just knows that some of the things you're chasing after are going to kill you. They're dangerous. Furthermore, unlike an idol, God doesn't need your protection. God doesn't need your protection like an idol needs your protection and justification. Listen, He's your protector. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, But the Lord is faithful, and He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Why would He need you, your protection? Like you're something that He would need something from you and as far as protection and justification goes. Listen, He's God. Sure, things happen all the time, even in my life, where I'm like, God, what in the world? And our natural bent is to try and explain God, but He doesn't need our justification or explanation for anything. Here's how I sometimes think about it, if it helps you, great. If I could make sense of everything that God was doing or God allowed to happen, then who would really be God? Would I really want to serve a God that made complete and total sense in my brain? I'm too dumb to serve a God like that. Like, I wouldn't want to serve that God. I want somebody that is huge and vast and created the entire world. And we look at the complications, even just within the human body, and we think, man, how in the world did any of this even occur? I want to serve that God. Not something that makes total sense in my brain. Last thing, God doesn't need your sacrifice because He offered His Son as a sacrifice. 1 John 2, 2, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. If you get nothing else, I say you have to get this. The reason you think you need more stuff or you need more money, or the reason you're looking for comfort apart from Jesus within your marriage, or if you're looking for your spouse to complete you, Jesus is the only one who complete, can complete you. Jesus is the only one who can give you comfort. The reason you're looking to have sex outside of marriage is because you're looking for affection away from Jesus. The reason you're okay with skipping church is because you don't understand the importance of rejoicing with other believers. And hear me, the only thing that can fill the emptiness you're experiencing is Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. So listen to me closely. If the only thing you do after this sermon is tell God you're sorry, or if the only thing you do is feel convicted, then I haven't done my job. Because we've got to learn how to replace that idol in your life. Because You were created to worship. God designed it that way. So if you just take an idol away, you're going to find something else to worship. You have to replace the idol with Jesus. You have to learn how to replace these good things that you've turned into a God thing with the actual God. So how do I do that, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Convenient because it's my next thing in my notes. Figure out what stirs your affections for Jesus. And then you worship Jesus while doing those things. Because you were designed to worship. Learn how to worship God through the things that you enjoy. I'll give you a couple of mine just so it hopefully helps you as we close. I love fajitas. Like the fact that you can get like steak and cheese 
and sour cream and guacamole and a tortilla and rice and beans and cilantro and tomato, like, like peppers, all of that wrapped up for you in the convenience of a handheld thing that you bite into. Like I can worship God in that moment. Like the smell of coffee in the morning. Like I can worship God in that moment. God, how amazing are you that you designed flavor, that you've created my mouth to taste that flavor. How beautiful are you that this was your idea, God, and I praise you and worship you in that. The poetry that is basketball. You run up and down. The, I mean, everything has to work. You have to play as a team. Ten people on the same court, five working together, the other five trying to oppose them. Like, that's amazing. God's game. Basketball. I can worship God in those moments. Some of you earning a paycheck. You love working with your hands. You love doing difficult tasks, whatever it is for you, your job. You just love your job. Well, instead of sacrificing your family at the altar of your job, learn how to worship God that He gave you the job. And figure out how to praise God in your job. How you can use your success to be a platform to praise the name of Jesus. Figure out what stirs your affections and chase after those things. And then avoid the things that are, that are distract you from Jesus and rob you of your affections for Jesus. Don't waste your time in those areas. But you have to replace that idol or a different idol is going to raise up. Is that helpful? Well, I helped one person today. Praise Jesus. That's all I needed. All right, let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for an opportunity to just come and gather in this place and hear from your word. God, I believe that there are people all over this room today that are feeling convicted. That they've turned a good thing into a God thing, and I believe that they are sorry. But God, I'm asking you to speak to them right now and figure out how they can replace that idol with you. And your son Jesus. And your Holy Spirit to fill up this emptiness in their life that they're experiencing. God, speak to them right now and Help them learn how to worship you every day. God, we saw in your story in Acts 19 where the reason you increased and prevailed mightily is because people repented of their sin. And I want to give people an opportunity right now to just repent. Say to God, you're sorry. And to change their direction. And the reason they have power to do that is because of your son, Jesus. Because he died on a cross. Because he rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death. And he gives us life. God, I believe you're trusting us and want to give us fullness of joy in life. God, whoever's not experiencing that fullness, I just ask you right now to speak life into them. Encourage them. Help them know you're not trying to keep anything from them, but but you designed the world to work a certain way and they haven't lined themselves up yet. Help us all line ourselves up with you to seek you and find you and the fullness of joy in your presence. We ask all this in Jesus' name. 
Amen.